are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your guest host, Andrew Martin-Smith. Emotional. Contemplative. Dope. Cynthia Van Manen is a composer, educator, and flutist. Her compositions have been performed by members of the Houston Ballet Orchestra, Houston Opera Orchestra, Houston Symphony, Traverse Symphony Orchestra, as well as many collegiate faculty members and students from around the country. As an educator, Dr. Van Manen is strongly committed to helping students discover their own voice and communicate that to an audience. Her students have gone on to attend Juilliard, Eastman, Peabody, Oberlin, Curtis, San Francisco, Rice, Cleveland Institute of Music, Vanderbilt, and many others. Van Manen holds the Doctor of Musical Arts degree in composition with a minor in music theory from the University of Houston. Her master's degree is from the Shepherd School of Music at Rice University. In addition, she holds the Performer's Certificate in Scoring for Film and Television from the University of Southern California. Her undergraduate degree, also in composition with a focus in flute performance, is from Baylor University. She currently teaches composition and theory at the Interlochen Arts Academy, and during the summers teaches for the Boston Conservatory High School Composition Intensive. I had the pleasure of chatting with Cynthia on location in beautiful Traverse City, Michigan. So, no, the agenda I have is actually based on your, uh, the piece, uh, LG for Our Children, okay. right? And uh, because it exists in several different versions, uh, and because you posted that link on Facebook that I'm getting around to kind of linking in everywhere and, and doing all that, and I haven't listened to it is yet. Is that so the TMEA link? I think it's the yeah. TMEA link, right? Yeah. So is, is that the, that's the band version that's then? That's the band version. Yeah. And I don't have a recording of the orchestral version, although it's been played twice. But um, another one had a recording. So Ara, not Ara, yeah, Ara is going to do it with the string ensemble this year. Oh, fantastic. Um, so at some point I will get that. And I was actually going to see if, I think the band score is upstairs. I didn't know if you wanted it. This is the string orchestra version. Oh. Um, and this might be, no, that's also, that's the, i got to get through here and... Or that's, that's the one thing I don't have yet is a cabinet. What do you? How do you guys file well, your I mean, big stuff? Because I, I don't have a cabinet. So yet. I mean, this is so interesting because we're we're here. By the way, I think this is the first time that anybody is doing their their like introductory podcast in their studio. So oh, that's this, cool. This is yeah. So this is kind of a cool okay. thing to be kind of in your space. Right. Uh, so thank you for that. I yeah. appreciate it because it's it's nice kind of. Uh, obviously, we had the tour uh, via Facebook that you shared with everybody. Um, and at that time, I don't think I had any of the shelves. No, you didn't in. have any of the shelves in Right. Right? And so, yeah, no, storing music is always the hardest thing. And uh, right. a number of my teachers have talked about, um, you know, the flat, the, the big, flat, kind of very, very... Uh, not very deep, shallow kind of cabinets and things. Kind of like score. where you put construction paper for kindergarten. Exactly. Oh, exactly. But the right size. <laughs> and, and I have a friend who builds cabinets, and I'm talking to him about building me one of those. And I would get all of this out, and I would just put one long cabinet. One long big, here. long cabinet. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Are we supposed to be here? <laughs> Are we the culprit? How did we oh, get here? Did I, I, did I no, not watch? No, no. Um, I had to move this closer <gasps> to the table. Oh. It's been further away. And he's figured out how to get on that table. And nice. Oh, you're such a crafty kitten. Are you ready? Here you go. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like 
keeping a cat out and suddenly a cat walks by. Well, the, uh, and, uh, well and, and for a second there, I thought it was me. I was like, did I just hallucinate a cat because I'm so cat deprived here? Right. I'm just making it up as I go along. I'm just, no, I think they're here. But, uh, but no, um, they're, every podcast too, like when we're doing some of these things, the overdrinks ones especially, mm-hmm. Damien and I will be like, if we're both in a room with a shut door, you know where this is going. Like, yeah, yeah. 15 minutes tops. There's like, meow, meow. And they're like scratching. At the, yep, 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 yeah. yep. Oh, it's yeah. so good. And he's the crowd. So he will sometimes sit over there and just. Oh, what's, the, what's the name of this cat again? Because I can't remember. Inigo. Inigo. From the Princess Bride. That's right. My name is Inigo name Montoya. Is prepare to die. But but we <laughs> you can't say come here Inigo Inigo Inigo. That's very awkward. So we tend to just say Nigo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. But he's the ch- he's the chatty one. He's the talker. Yes. So very funny. Yes. <laughs> but this is actually I had this drawn up. See. Obviously, I think are you are you as. Particular, that's a nice way of putting it, as I am in terms of like what, like what you want. You have an, you've envisioned where all the scores are going. My I assume. whole life. <laughs> so, so being able to actually create a studio like this, like I didn't have the color scheme or, or the layout or anything, but I knew I wanted an area mm-hmm. that I could study scores that was really for nothing else. So that when I yeah. sit down on this couch, um, I, I'm here to open a score, listen to the score, study the score. When I am at that desk, I'm there to compose um, or do composer duties. Yes. Prepare Be- scores to send to you guys, whatever it is. Yeah. It's something compositional related. Now, I do sometimes come down here and do email for work because it's a bigger screen. But And, by and eventually and large, might even be a bigger screen from what we saw over oh, dinner. <laughs> did you see that screen? And when that song, like, please die, I want this man to die. Um, but, but, you know, so imagine... Like that computer takes up a pretty big footprint, mm-hmm. and I, William was talking about one of the Apple Minis. Yes, and they are now so much more powerful even than that. Yep, and it would have a very small footprint, and then I and then I wouldn't need it to sit up on that pedestal I've got. Right, it would have its own pedestal, and it would come yep. up and around. It'd come up and around, yeah. Right. Yeah, and have so much more right. real estate for and, you to use. And I still don't quite understand if it's two or three or four pages at a time, but it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a significant... But but it has to, it's not worth it to me if I can't see an 11 by 17 full page without having to like blow up half of it to actually read the notes. Yeah. If I can yep. see the whole page and it's tiny, mm-hmm. you haven't Doesn't done matter. anything for me. Exactly. Right. Yep. So no, I'm always I'm, in search of that. I'm cheating right now because I'm using one of our old television sets, honestly. Well, that I, was the like... other thing he suggested. Mm-hmm. If I don't get this, was getting a couple of large TV monitors. Yep. But I don't... I know this is but, a funny thing. See, I like the view. I, so I don't want to hide the view when I'm behind the screen. Because this is also part of the compositional, like, it's, uh, yes. feng shui maybe is the wrong, because everybody uses that slightly incorrectly. Right. But But the, the aesthetic of the room yes. has a significant impact on your creative flow. Right. I walk into this room now, and again, it's taken me seven years. Something came up on Facebook today. And it was when we started that ceiling two years ago. <laughs> I love those memories. Okay. <laughs> so two years ago, we started the work on the ceiling. And that was after we had to pour more concrete for the floor. I had to build the stairs. There was all this problematic stuff in the house with this room. Yeah. So it had structural stuff that had to be done. It was, And, and it took me that long just to get the money and mm-hmm. pay for it and yep. do all the things. Yep. So, yeah. So this room, when I walk in here, I relax. And I kind of breathe, mm-hmm. and I, and then it, things start to flow. Yeah. 
And I've never, other rooms I walk in, I need, oh, I've got that stack of bills. It, let me get that off the desk first. And then, then I, it'll be okay if I compose. It's always, it's always and them, right? And then, it's always and them. Yes. Yeah. So there was always a list that was too, I'm, I'm too OCD. Stuff to do with <laughs> oh, the house. Oh, you are talking to the right person. <laughs> stuff to do with my child. Yeah. Has she done yeah. her homework? Has she mm -hmm. done this? Has she done that? Mm -hmm. um, do I need to talk to my parents about anything? Is everything okay there? Have I paid the bills? And then two hours has gone by, and right. suddenly I don't have the time anymore. Or the energy, frankly, right. because all of that takes It takes all of my good energy. Well, yeah. this is actually what I know that we have, to some extent, several uh, similar pedagogical philosophies, if, if, you're, if you mm -hmm. don't mind being equated with me yeah. in, in some kind of guise. Uh, but the idea that I tell the students here at Interlock and went over the summer that a composer wears many hats. Yes. Right? And, and it's important that they realize when it's appropriate to wear a certain hat yes. and to not leave the house wearing multiple hats simultaneously because then you just get weird looks. Right. <laughs> and, and I can tell you my problem my whole life has been I don't want to wear the secretary hat. I really abhor that. And, yeah. and yet it is a thing I need to do. Yeah. But I, I don't like to take my time. When I finally get time, mm -hmm. I don't want to spend that time promoting myself or do I just I want to dive in I want yeah. to deep dive into the composition and you, you like that creative hat I do you like that creative hat yeah and so so now at this point in my life I'm starting to balance better gotcha or at least begin to balance better and that's like where you guys come in and mm -hmm. so yeah I feel like I'm kind of beginning that outreach yeah. later yeah. than many people did but also in due in part to just how I was taught and things that happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and this, this room certainly is, I think definitely more conducive to you wearing that creative hat right. for a longer period of time, because again, right. that's right. That focus and that, that space, focus that comfort. In that space. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest with you right now. And maybe, maybe people hear this in my music, although I hope not. Um, the creative hat is actually the one that I can, I physically can wear for the least amount of time. Okay. I get so incredibly drained. Uh, where I will only be able to wear it for 20 to 30 minutes at a time. And then I, I have to do something else. Yeah. I have to go for a walk. But I think that's really natural. And I used, mm. to, I used to think, and I think a lot of people do, I used to think that in order to compose, I needed a chunk of time, however you want to define that. Fair. I need an hour. I need three hours. I need whatever it is. And when I heard about the challenge you guys were doing with your students, and I began kind of taking that challenge and then modifying it for my high school kids and, and what we had to do in our day, I did it with them. Mm. And what I learned about myself was, no, I actually get a lot done in one hour, mm -hmm. broken into three 20-minute chunks. Okay. And I actually time myself. Mm -hmm. So I'll put my phone on, I'll put on a stopwatch, and I'll say, I'm not moving my butt mm -hmm. for 20 minutes. <laughs> and I will start to compose. And then I'll just go get a cup of coffee I mean, it's not a long it's break. It's not a long break. No, it doesn't have to be. Or maybe that's when I let the cats out and feed them. Yep. Okay. And then I come back. When I do that, and it can be 20 minutes in the morning, 20 in the afternoon, 20 at night, or it can be 20 minutes, five minute break, 20 minutes, five minute break. That doesn't matter. When I do that, I am more likely to keep that entire 60 minutes of work than if I sit still for 60 minutes and hmm. work straight through. Yeah. I'm more likely to throw out a portion of that. Hmm. Yeah, so, so I see what you're saying by math, the by that, yeah. clearing of my brain, uh -huh. and then I come back and I refocus, and maybe I see the error or the timing issue or the harmony issue or whatever I'm struggling with. 
Yeah, I yeah. think, I, forgive me if I've already said this, but uh, uh, there was a, Kaya Sariajo had this very similar kind of idea in a, in a discussion that I saw, that I had seen her give, where she talked about a refrigeration period, uh, mm -hmm. more or less. I can't remember if she used those words specifically, but, but it was in the context of missing the fact that it takes, that it took technology so long back when, you know, the early days of computer music, where you'd have to compile all this code, and the computer had to, like, crunch those numbers for a few hours. And so, you know, you hit enter, and then you went and you had life, right? You, you got together with friends, you had some food, and exactly. then you came back, and of course, you probably got boop, right? That was, that was the sum total of your Total going failure for, for the system, yeah. But, but in that time, you would have a different perspective and thought about what it is you were working on that maybe yeah. the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of students I know uh, with the technology as robust as it is now is to have instant feedback and then, you know, delete it or you know, where... Right. And that's, there's no mulling over period. There's no... Right. And, that, and that's where I go back to the hat analogy of, look, you got to keep the creative. You just get... Write all the bad music. Right. Write so much bad music because you can, if you start putting the editing on the editing hat on too soon, then you're going to have the best two measures of your life that you'll bring into your composition lesson. And then right. I've, I'm, I'm sure And then what can this. your teacher possibly <laughs> do with that? You walk in with, for me with a brand new piece that's really quite good. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? I'm going to applaud you and say, well done. Congratulations. But what am I actually teaching you? Right. And I would rather see a piece that is in progress and, and mm -hmm. has all the messy bits. Yeah. What, do you, where, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? Right. And How? look at all the different ways this could go. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, because creativity is messy. I think. Yes. Although, although this room is not really messy. It's so no, 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 but this room, <laughs> this room has room to be this way so, so my brain can, can be messy. That's beautiful. I love it. Right? Yeah. 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 So I struggle to compose if that desk is messy. So I, I will have one or two things on it at a time and that's it. Gotcha. Okay. And, and if there's more, mm -hmm. then I have trouble sitting down and so I have to keep that tidy mm -hmm. and it's this correlation, I think. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And what, so the, the piece in question that we're talking about today mm -hmm. is the, uh, the elegy for our children. Yeah. Now, uh, is, uh, remind me, is this from 2018? So it's, it's really goes back further than that. Further than that. Okay. So I would have to look up to tell you the exact year, but I want to say this. It's string not a quartet, test, I promise. No, that's okay. <laughs> the string quartet was written while I was a master student. Okay. And the second movement, which at that time was just called Adagio. Okay. Was about four, four and a half minutes long. There's fermatas, so you know how that goes. Uh, and, and I always felt the timing was off. I always felt like the music was really nice, mm. but that the timing was off, okay. that it could be longer. Gotcha. And in it, then it sits on the back shelf of your brain, you know, Sweet. thinking someday, maybe yeah. I'll come back to that. Yeah. And a conductor approached me and said, I would really like you to write my group, a string orchestra piece. And I thought, aha, I'm in the middle of my year. I'm, I'm in the middle of teaching. Starting something from scratch might be a little difficult right now, but what if I took this pre-existing material mm -hmm. that's my own? And what if I finally like clean that up the way I want it and stretch it. And it stretched into a little over nine minutes. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was for string orchestra. And was in the program note, it talks a little bit about um, circumstances yeah. that, that kind of maybe affect yes. with an A. Uh, yes. how, 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 God, this is all about perspective and the change of perspective. Like this, this second movement of a string quartet now having that intervening time and the intervening perspective. Right. Like, so how does, that, how does that come into play? So I tend to write 
and I couldn't have told you this when I first wrote the string quartet. I can tell it to you now, okay. years later. Yeah. But I tend to write music that I that is captures an emotion. Okay. I don't usually choose to write about a thing. Okay. All right. So I might be inspired by nature, and and I have a solo flute piece called Blue Jays, that is obviously inspired by a blue jay, but I was capturing the emotion of the moment, the hilarity mm. of the blue jay attacking the cat <laughs> or of the cat trying to chase it back yeah. or the beauty of the blue jay soaring up in the air. But it was really more about those emotional moments and observations. And that's how I commit my own music. Mm. So I always knew that this adagio movement had a certain emotion uh, for me. And as I was reworking this piece and going back into that emotion, mm. I was watching the computer up and it, you know, your news will pop up Yep. and the Parkland school shootings happened. Yeah. So I'm feeling this emotion. I'm, I'm deep in it and that popped up and I needed a title and, and I wasn't just trying to title it just to, you right. know, capture this, but I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's the emotion I'm feeling. It's mm. this, it's this cross between despair and hopelessness, but also I was watching those kids over several days and, and you know, those kids. Children at that school, those students, were so invested over the next few months. You remember this? Yes, yeah, in, I do. In really bringing attention to what had happened and to making a statement and to coming out. And they were so motivated. It was such a beautiful thing to come out of such a horrible event. Event, yeah. Um, that, that in the creation of this piece, which also has that element of hope, hmm. at the end I thought, well, well, this piece speaks to what we are feeling as a country. Mm-hmm. So I gave it this title for that reason. Yeah. Um, I wasn't specifically writing for that school, but maybe more for the emotion that we as a country feel in our helplessness yeah. at what's going on and how it keeps happening. Mm-hmm. And each time it happens, our hope that it won't happen again. Right. But then here it comes again. And and sorry sorry to interject the idea that you're also at an institution at Interlochen teaching high school students. high school students of the of the same age and right. so again this multifaceted I mean when when you're a young master student I this this speaks to a lot of things but did you did you imagine did you imagine yourself teaching high school students was, oh no I swore I would never teach this age see. Yeah, I yeah. was always if I when I realized I enjoyed teaching, mm-hmm. I was a doctoral student, and they gave me a couple classes mm. for a fellowship, and I began to see uh, students' faces light up, and I loved that, and mm. I fell in love with that. Mm. But I always swore I would teach the college level age because those students wish to be there; they have gone to study a thing, and you are the teacher of that thing. Yes. But in high school, so many kids are doing something because mom says, go do this, Mm. or I'm paying money for this lesson or whatever. Mm -hmm. They don't always want to be there. I put myself through school teaching private flute lessons, Mm. and about half of them wanted to be there. And they were fun to teach. That's quite, actually, that's quite a, that's quite an amount, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and the other half were like, well, maybe, maybe of the remaining half, maybe a half of those, so a quarter of them, well, they were like, all right, fine, I'm here, so... Okay. And the other quarter, it was like pulling teeth. It was pulling teeth, yeah. I would ask a question, and I would get, yes. Oh. No. And the, the dead silence. Yeah. You know. Right. Very energy sucking. <laughs> right. yeah. So I never imagined myself teaching high school, but interlocking is different. It is. These students, very like college students, maybe exactly the same as college students, want to come here for this thing, mm-hmm. and I'm the teacher of that thing. So yeah. I, I don't, I'm very lucky. I don't 
have discipline problems almost ever. The students hmm. want to be there. If I'm dealing with a discipline problem, it's usually because of an algebra class or a chemistry class hmm. or some other. It's not usually about music or about what mm -hmm. we're doing, and I'm just sort of their advocate. Gotcha. You know, yeah. as as they're far away from home, I'm often the advocate. So mm -hmm. that makes sense. Right. Yeah, and and do you often find that the solution is often through music or always? Through, yeah. Yeah. Because that's their outlet. Right. And for our dance students, it's through dance. Mm -hmm. For the theater students, it's through theater. Um, but that's the thing they know. And, and you know, my students write beautiful music, but a lot of it is, uh, if I may use this word, very angsty. Because they're getting that they're, out. Exactly. They're, they're figuring it out. Angsty teenagers. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and I, I kind of help that because I feel it's very healthy for them to get that out. That's, that's perfectly fair. And, yeah. and so uh, it, it seems to me from what you're describing that, that um, you're well suited to this because of how you've approached, how you come to music. And you're talking about this emotional thing. It's not about right. the thing. No. It's about the feeling. That's right. And that's so much about the connection. Right. But yes. like, what is this? How does this communicate? How do you communicate? Right. What is this feeling? What right. does this say? And I think I, 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 again, having done this for a while now, I come at this from the point of view that none of my family was ever in art. Hmm. So I don't have family that was in music or any other art discipline of any kind. And I was always looking for a way for them to understand what it was I did because mm -hmm. they didn't at all. Okay. And, and many of them tried to, they were yeah. supportive and a few of them were like, what are you doing? Yeah. We, we don't get this. Why are you doing this? Oh, I think we need to sit down for this next part because you're segueing beautifully into, into what I refer to as the big question. Yeah. All right. So let, let's, let's, okay. let's definitely sit down for okay. this because, uh, so, so for those on the, uh, listening to the podcast who don't know for each of these individual kind of sessions, uh, Rob McClure or myself, we always ask the person we're interviewing how did you come to music? Like, like, because it is, and it's a really big question. So right. apologies ahead of time. This, okay. is, this is why we're sitting down. That's okay. <laughs> but, but you had said did that you bring you... the wine down. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I see. No. Okay. <laughs> it's perfect. It's so good. Um, but no, you were, you were saying how, was it very isolating? Did, I mean, and not in a negative way. I'm not saying that. Yeah, you know, no, I you... get it. Um, no, not really. And maybe I'm only saying that because I'm also an only child. So there's a okay. certain amount of isolation anyway. That's okay. That, that's um, fair. So I don't really know the difference there. Okay. But it meant that I was always trying to emotionally connect my family, my friends, whoever. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to reach them. Hmm. I wanted to write music that they could understand. Hmm. So I've always been very concerned I hope not in a negative way, but very concerned with how my audience reacts to whatever it is I'm doing because mm. I want them to understand what we're doing. Mm. So, so this is interesting um, and, and a bit of a tangent, but we're sitting down and it's another big question. Mm -hmm. I always say that, that I want my audience to have a reaction. I honestly, I don't feel that I'm responsible for exactly what that reaction is. I completely I can't, agree. I can't. I can't. I, this, this but if I've me. caused you to laugh or cry or smile or think... yeah then I feel like I've been successful. And yeah. if it doesn't happen to be the exact emotion that it was for me, that's mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. It'd be great if it was that, that I even went a step further in my art and caused that thing to happen. But it doesn't have to be. Hmm. I just want a reaction of some kind. Yeah, and I'll, go, I'll even go as far to say it's like if someone is like viscerally upset by the music I've mm -hmm. created, like they, they loathe it entirely, mm -hmm. it, that, that in itself is far better for me as an artist to say, well, I've had an effect on your life 
the worst thing that you could say to me is, you know, oh, your, your piece was, meh, it was a good piece, you know? Right. A good piece. It's like a, no, it's like a nothing reaction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, okay, so back to, back to the big question. Because yeah, now, 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 I'm, now I'm avoiding things with other, <laughs> other big questions. Um, but so, so how, does, how does one go from that, that position of wanting to communicate? How did you find music as the outlet? Because so many artists who want to communicate, maybe I was writing plays. Right. Bad plays. Right. <laughs> Terrible plays. <laughs> But how did you find like music as an outlet? So I grew up in churches okay. with my family, and I was always in some kind of church music, usually choir. Mm. That little kids sing in choir, and they're taught, and that's where I learned to sing. Mm. Um, I'm a flute player, but I learned to sing in church choirs. And I can remember being very little, and and knowing where we lived at the time, I had to be eight or younger. Hmm. But I'm not exactly sure how young. And I was in a class at church, and a girl came in who was probably a high school student, but I thought she was like 40-something, right? I mean, yeah, our no, perspective yeah, no, at the time. Love it. <laughs> and she played the flute for us. And oh. I just, you know, those moments where like the heavens open up mm -hmm. and you think there's a little light shining down on somebody. Well, I am a flute player now. And, I, yeah. and ever since that moment, I knew I wanted to play that instrument. Hmm. So when I was in the sixth grade and I was 11... Uh, I had just finished fifth grade. It's summertime. I'm going into sixth grade. My dad went through arguably his midlife crisis, quit his job, went to work with a bunch of friends from that same job uh, in an appliance. They, they formed their own appliance store, and we moved to a little town in Alabama. Oh, very entrepreneurial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And at that time, I went into sixth grade in this new school where I knew nobody, and I went to the band director and I said, I want to play the flute. And he said, you have a clarinet chin. Here's a clarinet. <laughs> and I was devastated. Oh, no. And I hope no clarinet players get upset listening to this because it's actually one of my favorite instruments I'm to write I'm a clarinetist and that's perfectly fine. <laughs> but I wanted to play the flute. Well, within two or three weeks of having moved there and joined that school, my dad realized he'd made a huge mistake in his career. He went back with the company. They transferred him to Florida. And I convinced I was angry with my parents for all the moves, right? But I convinced my mother to buy me a flute. And I walked into my sixth grade band and I said, I already play the flute and there's not anything you can do about it. <laughs> and he said, okay, great. And put it. me in the advanced band without listening to me. Wow. And the little girl next to me told me how to put it together because I didn't even know how to take it out of the case. <laughs> so good. Oh, I love this story. <laughs> So, so at that point, I started play, and I'm putting in air quotes, playing the flute. I didn't mm -hmm. know what I was doing, but you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, wow. That is. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> no, that's a lot of fun. And I, you know, some of some of what I really love about that circles back to what we're talking about in terms of, like, you had mentioned not not exactly knowing exactly how old you were or when that moment happened, but mm -hmm. you you seem to remember the moment quite oh, well. You, very well. You remember that feeling yes. again there that 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 you had. Right. In that particular position, and that's, that's I can even picture the room, and I can picture the girl. Everything yeah, about it. Yeah. I have the visual. Yeah. I'm just not exactly sure of my age. This is really interesting in terms of in terms of music, and it's something that I also talk to my students about. Is, is the idea of human memory yes. is so very fallible, mm -hmm. and and it's not. 
I, I, I joke and say that humans don't understand time really well, which is which is really bizarre being a composer whose canvas is time, right? right? And it's like, so how do you how do you understand that? How do you manipulate it when we don't actually have a really good memory for it? We say time flies when you're having fun, right? Right. right. That, that like ontologically, like time just goes, right? And it should be all measurably the same if right. we're quantitatively assessing this right but it doesn't feel the same it doesn't and that's where that emotion for me comes yeah. in because a certain emotion causes it to stand still mm -hmm. the quote mm -hmm. or a certain emotion causes it to speed up right mm -hmm. yeah. and and this idea especially for for students who are trying to figure out proportion and to try and to, to try and understand that i remember reading mm -hmm. all kinds of things i think it's the uh, the Roger Reynolds book, oh, uh, his, yeah. his essays, the Rothschild essays, right? Yeah. Where, where he talks about humans having infallible memory, but for seven seconds. Right. And I'm, and I'm, paraphr I'm paraphrasing. Right, I'm paraphr right, right, but, right. but actually, this was significantly influential on my music as I read it, where, mm -hmm. where it's like, well, you know, I have, I have experienced this, where I listen to a new piece of music for the first time, and maybe I can hum part of the tune if there's a tune, right? right. And I can't remember exactly where, like, was that before or after this other thing that I remember? Sometimes right. I actually can't place it in time. Right. But I remember. But you have all the pieces. But I have all the pieces. Yeah. But I have all the pieces. And so that, that's, that's kind of beautiful in a way. And I, right. and I can start to understand where composers like Stockhausen and all these people with the esoteric ideas of moment form. Right. Where I said, well, you know, it, it doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter what order you hear any of these things in, which can be arguable. Depends on the style Depends of the piece. Depends on the style of the piece. Yeah. But I think this is, I try to get students and I don't know how successful I am. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'm 50-50. But I try that's to... That's also great very, percentage. That's a great percentage. <laughs> I, I, I try very hard to get them to understand that the first thing they write is not measure one. Maybe it is. And maybe it's not. But it doesn't have to be. Right. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. And and if you can live with these moments mm -hmm. and and just see them for a while and, and reflect on them, take your time with them, then, you know, walking away, like we were talking about earlier, walking away from the computer that gives instant feedback. Yeah. Then maybe you can start to imagine them in a different order or two or three different orders until you find the one that works the best. Hmm. And then how long does it take to get from one to the next to the next? Well, that's on you. So then when initially composing this piece, speaking yeah. of memory and all of these other things, yeah. for the Elegy for Our Children, which was the second movement of a string quartet, right? can you remember like the process of completing that movement in or, or anything? Way is back it, when? Way back when. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Huh. <laughs> You're going to hate me. No, but I, I'm going to jump... I'm going to jump to the third movement jump, for a minute. Sure, so, why not? The string quartet is four movements. The first movement and the fourth movement, I would never show anybody now, even if you gave me a lot of money. But the I'll second... I'll work on that. <laughs> good luck. The second movement is what we're talking about. And the third movement is the next one I want to go back to. Great. Because that material was very good. That movement is the fastest thing I've ever written. And I'm huh. what most people would call a slow, because I dwell on things, a slow composer. I wrote that movement in a day. Huh. And I don't do that. Why? Do, I mean, and not why don't you do it, but but how do you? Is there any kind of conceivable thing you? What What did you do differently? I just think the piece was long enough, and that was the last movement I wrote. Oh. That I think it was everything was already sort of arranged and figured out in my brain, and that movement just came out. It was ready to be done. Was it sort of like a stream of consciousness? Is I think it, so. Did, was that more or less beginning to end? 
Yes, it was. Isn't that fascinating? Yes, it was. Yeah. I had to tweak the, I had to go back and tweak uh, a transition and add that and we're do some things. Tweaking. But, but again, within that day. Yeah. And, and now if I go back to that movement again, I think I might elongate it a little bit mm -hmm. because I would like it to be a standalone piece, mm. but not because the movement by itself needs to be longer. Gotcha. Uh, within the string quartet, it doesn't need to be longer. Right. But if it were going to stand on its own, then yes, I think it needs a little more time than it has. Hmm. Yeah. And so I imagine since and, you and brought... And so that second movement... Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the second movement is the movement I struggled with the most of the four. Huh. And it has to do with, you know, when you hear the piece, it's one of those pieces that I give you the idea just almost immediately, and then it unfolds very slowly over time, and it's the one idea unfolding and twisting over the course of time. There's an element in this a lot like the Barbara Adagio, okay. right? So you've got this, this long piece... And, and over time it builds and unfolds until it reaches its climax and then it just kind of collapses. Hmm. And that's what happens with this piece. That was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. Oh, yeah. And so this took me longer to write. I also think it's why it was so stunted. I got as much of it out as I could. Mm -hmm. it, was, it literally doubled in time hmm. because it needed time to unfold. And yeah. I, I gave it the ideas. Mm -hmm. I didn't give it the time that it needed. Do you think, and this is, this is all so subjective, but do, do you think as a young master student, if, if I can say that, mm -hmm. um, I find young students don't let things breathe. They don't, they, everybody yeah. isn't, we're all in a rush. Some of it is we are in a rush, but some of it is our teachers are putting us in a rush, oh, right? Oh, fair. That's and, fair, and, yeah. And maybe it's not even the teachers so much as the schedule. Mm -hmm. We have a recital we need There's to be on. There's a deadline. We yeah. have a class we need to finish. We have a thing we need to do. Um, now, when I'm writing, yeah, if I'm writing a commission, then I have a deadline. But it's usually a longer deadline than I ever had in school. Mm -hmm. If somebody says, uh, I, I just got a commission for a choir piece the other day. And I don't need it until next April. Hmm. Now the, the church is going to, it's for a church. The church is going to give me a text. I don't have it yet. If they give me that text in February, then my timing might not be very good on this piece. Right. But if they give me the text in the next couple of weeks, I have a lot of time to develop this without a deadline that is right on top of me. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so interesting. I have. I also have a commission for a church choir yeah. piece. Yeah. yeah. I don't have as leisurely a deadline anymore because I've been here this summer. <laughs> well, they want they, they want this for Easter, and so okay. I, so I'm already guessing that that they want some Easter related have, text. Right. You have an idea. Like, I just don't know if they want legitimate biblical quote or gotcha. if they want like a poetic interpretation, and I'm yeah. going to let them tell me what they want. Yeah. So. Yeah. So this this idea of allowing material to breathe and, and maybe external or internal kind of like constraints or, mm -hmm. or expectations about how the creative mm -hmm. process should flow. Right. So how does that change? Now you, now you have this, uh, you're, you're mulling through this emotion. How did you go about expand literally doubling in length? You, you say, what was the process of expansion? It, the first thing was extreme attention to the baseline, to, oh. to the progression of harmonic choice and baseline. Mm. That was that was always the thing that bothered me the most in the shorter movement. Hmm. And so I wanted to unfold that slower. So I, so I literally took it apart like you might take a dress apart if you were sewing. Okay. And you would say, here's the sleeve, and here's the skirt, and here's the other sleeve. So I had, here's this section, and here's that section, and here's this section. And it's not transitions because I'm not going to new material. 
but it's transitions in the sense that I want this skirt section needs to be bigger. Yeah. And now, and then I would write that. And now that that skirt section is bigger, this piece over here has other, to connect. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then the whole thing just started expanding kind of on its own and the timing worked out. And that seems very, uh, that seems much more organic, let's mm-hmm. say, than, than if you were, uh, for lack of a better word, arbitrarily kind of, right. kind of saying, because again, you're dealing with proportions and cause and effect. Right. So this kind of causality of, well, because I've done this and now because I like this, right. that implies... Right. And I, I kind of... I also didn't have a time limit on this commission. Oh. Which is only the second or third time that that's happened. Usually there's like, well, would you write us about a 10-minute piece? Right. And it turned out to be about that. But the conductor didn't say. Huh. It needs to only be... I mean, I think he would have been perhaps dismayed if it had been a 45-minute piece. But... <laughs> But there was no, but there specific... Was no <laughs> specific time limit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so you were practical, which is excellent for a composer to be, I think. Um, but yeah, so that also contributes to kind of this, this organic kind of unity. I, I often talk to students um, in, in I, this is another reason why, if you don't mind, like mm-hmm. I, there are similarities here in terms of analogy or in, uh, how, how we relate certain types of abstract concepts, perhaps more con- concretely, or, or, or intelligibly for, for some students to, to digest. Yes. Right? And I, I use games because oh, yeah. I love games, as we've talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Um, and I always look at composing more like the game of Go than the game of chess. Okay. Right. Chess seems to be like you against an opponent, right? right? right. And, and I try, I, some composers do treat it like combatively. Right. Like you're valiantly struggling against, I don't, I don't know what, in the ether for right. your ideas. Right. Um, but for me, it's it's all about, it's more, it's less about the opponent and more about yourself in Go to some extent, because I don't know if you're, if you, if you play a lot of. No, I don't, but I'm going to make an analogy to tennis in a minute. Oh, so. this is going to be fantastic. <laughs> okay. So, so I argue that the, the, um, the beginning of chess is actually very like. If you want to win the game, there's actually only so many types of opening. Like you're, right. you're fighting for control of the center and all these right. other things and blah, blah, blah. And then after you've made the opening decisions, then the game unfolds in, in various ways. Right. And, the, and the possibilities expand exponentially. Right. That's I love cats. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the game of Go, it's exactly the opposite because the board is completely clear at the beginning. And depending upon where, once somebody places the first stone, if you want to win the game, there's actually only so many moves you can do to, to like counter that. Right. But there's so many more, right? Yeah. But as the game keeps going on, there's less and less and everything becomes predictable. And so the further, this is why I also tell my students, yeah. just write tons of bad music because right. the more you see... The more you realize, oh, because I've done this and because I like this, this has to change. That's, That's right. what I don't like. That's right. So what's your tennis analogy? Because I'm, I'm reading it. <laughs> so I'm going to back up to your Please. great big question a little bit. And I then love I'll it. get into the analogy. And Beautiful. So, so if I go on with, you know, how did you get into music? So there's, there's the flute epiphany. Yes. But then there's a moment when I get into high school and I'm playing the flute and we move again. Mm-hmm. And I should say... Uh, my dad worked for both NASA and Computer Sciences Corporation, which meant I lived everywhere NASA was. Love so <laughs> first, first in Alabama where they build the rockets, then mm-hmm. in Florida where they send them up, and then eventually in Houston. So you had the, like the whole like procedure, like yes. the whole, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so I get to Houston. When we get to Houston, I'm in high school, and Houston, Texas, in general, is big. So my 
graduating class, my senior class was 1,043 students. Holy crap. Okay. okay. Or 1,040-something. In perspective, mine was 55 students. Continue. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so there were certain rules in a high school this big. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the rules was you can only be in one big extracurricular thing without extreme special permission. So I had a choice to make. Mm-hmm. I could either be in orchestra band, my flute, or I could be on the tennis team. Hmm. And I picked orchestra band, but I still play tennis to this day. Yeah. And every now and then, after becoming a professional musician, I wonder, could I have become a professional tennis player if huh. I had stuck with if had, tennis? If you had made that, if you had gone if that I had direction. gone that yeah, route, yeah. right. And, and I will brag a minute and say for a hot minute about three years ago, my doubles partner, Amy, and I were the number one doubles team in the state of Michigan Ooh. over the age of 40 in our classified division. I have to put all those uh, all qualifiers. The, all the caveats, so that's right, fine. <laughs> right, okay. But, but, you know, for a hot minute it lasted, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. So I do love that, and I use that analogy in class all the time because I'm always trying to take students out of themselves mm. and into something else that either maybe they've played or tried at once or at least have seen or, you know. And so I talk a lot about it, it, it's it's so much the same thing with with a flute embouchure. If I have to correct my embouchure, it may be six months to a year of repeated practice with the thing that's uncomfortable hmm. to correct mm-hmm. that small minute thing. With tennis, if I want to learn topspin, I have to learn to flick my wrist a certain way at a certain speed. Over and over and over again, I have to do that repetitive motion to gain that thing. And, and as it gets stronger, I can go faster and faster in the speed of the ball and all the things. And we like to, I like to talk about this in composition as well. Hmm. You're writing a transition and you're struggling with it. Great. Okay. You've done one. Right. So if it's not perfect, we're not going to stress over this. We're going to do two. Right. And then when we've done a thousand, now if you want to complain and moan about it, I will hear <laughs> I the will complaints. Hear the complaint. <laughs> But until you've done enough to have that repertoire, until you've done the kind of repetition and composition that, that all of them have done in their instrument or their voice mm. or a sport or some other thing that requires that repetition, then, then don't... They want it to be perfect the first time. It's not a realistic thing. Is that... Do you think that's because... Again, speculative. Yeah. Do you think that's because composition is such an internal... Like, everything else Maybe. is this external thing. Because you are competing with yourself. And again, yeah. in the same tennis analogy, um, uh, it's doubtful any of my tennis friends will hear this, so I'm going to say this. <laughs> <laughs> they don't quite understand what I do, so they don't tend to focus on that. But um, it, some of the ladies who play... Or, and even some of the guys when I'm playing mixed and enter the cat. Um, <laughs> oh, lap cat. I love Kitty, it. Kitty, are this you going to meow? This okay. is so good. Um, some, of, some of them who play, it's all about beating the other person. That's your chess analogy. Yeah. That's all they care about. And they don't actually change their game in any measurable way. And they've huh. been playing the same way for years. And everybody they play against knows exactly how they play and exactly yep. how to beat them. Yep. And some of the people who play are worried more about how do I improve my game? Right. What's the repetition? Yep. What's the thing that I can change and learn to do better by repeating it so that the next time I play this opponent, maybe I can solve the problem a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and I get... How creative. How right? creative that is. Okay. Yeah. And I get compliments from opponents sometimes who say, I've never seen you serve like that. I'm like, that's new. <laughs> that's new. That's Six right. months new. I, lo- I love that with a little bit. That's, that's There's new. a little bit of pride yeah, in that. Yeah. Yeah, that's new. 
Um, and so, so it's the same analogy. It's, it, it's just how do you come at anything you do in life? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I got, yeah. I, I have hydrangeas out this window that we're sitting by and for seven years I have worked on turning those hydrangeas from pink to blue. Hmm. And I have read all the things and mm -hmm. I have put the, the appropriate things in the soil and occasionally one of the blooms will go blue, but the rest of the bush is pink and hmm. I've scratched my head and I've <laughs> mulled it over. And this year I didn't have time to do anything. And this year the hydrangeas are blue. Huh. And so what I'm learning from that is I've put all the stuff in, sit back, give it a minute, just wait, oh, let it do its thing. refrigeration period again. Without yeah. continuing to add more to it. Gotcha. Yeah. And oh, look, they're blue. Huh. And so I think next year I need to add some more, again, to keep them blue, right. and then nothing for the year after that. Huh. I don't know if I'm right, but I'm figuring it out. Yeah. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. Yeah. It's a process. Yeah. Uh, speaking of process, the, the piece as it evolves doesn't end here because it goes from being the second movement of a string quartet to an orchestral piece. Right. To and, a string orchestra piece. Right. 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 Uh, sorry. Sorry. Yes. 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 Clarification. Yeah. But it is a bit of a leap for what happens next because yes. it's suddenly now there's a band version. Yes, and I actually think this is probably the best of the versions. Oh, this is exciting. Okay. So a friend of mine who, by the way, I happened to go to high school with, she was my drum major in high school, ha. said, what have you been doing lately? Send me anything. Not just band, send me anything. Yeah. So I sent her, this was, I had just finished the orchestral, the, the string orchestra version. So I sent it to her, and at this point, all I've got is MIDI because I don't have the, a recording yet. So um, I send it to her, and she said, I love this. Hmm. I want you to arrange this for band, and then I'm going to perform it, and I'm going to take it to TMEA, and I'm going to take it to CBDNA. And I said, okay. Yeah, that's there, you, there's no other answer to that. You say, okay. okay. <laughs> okay. That's right. And, and so it began, and um, I had to reconceive. The opening is rather dry. The string orchestral and the and the string quartet version is rather dry. I use uh, pizzicato like a guitar, right, where you strum the instrument, yes. mm -hmm. and so you you get a, a lovely resonance, but just for that moment, and right. it's gone, right. right? And then there's a moment, and then the next, and the next. And for the band version, I thought that's going to be a big stage of a whole lot of people and a lot of different instruments, and a lot of silence. Yeah. So I reconceived that opening. So what had been that strummed. Uh, pizzicato in the in the different string versions became harp and piano and and she had uh, forces she could tell me exactly what types of things that I could write for and mm. I said may I have harp and piano because she'd heard remember now she's heard the midi version she knows about the strummed opening yes. and yeah. the strummed ending so she said yes I can get you a piano I can get you a harp so I already knew like rolled piano, strummed harp, and eventually added marimba and vibes and glock hmm. so that the start mm -hmm. of that rolling and the strumming has a little bit of a sparkle. Yeah. And I kept the marimbas just, there was one marimba I should say, I kept the marimba going while the strumming is happening in the other instruments. I went down for a reading of it in December. Okay. And it's going to be premiered in February. Mm-hmm. And when I heard it, she and I kind of looked at each other and I said, how much, how much variance can I have here? And she said, what do you want? 
I said, I want two marimbas and I want them on both sides of the band. Mm. And they're going to be doing exactly the same thing, but it's going to create a thicker like sound. Antiphonal kind of this, this right. yes, yeah, the and now stereo. We've, and we've got the piano with one marimba and the harp with the other marimba. Oh. And they're not strumming at exactly the same time. Sometimes right. it's just slightly off of one another. Right. But the marimba is constant yeah. in that opening. Yeah. And so that was a luxury I've never had before. <laughs> let me let me hear this as a reading um, with time with three months to make changes yeah. and adjust. And, and all we did was uh, we adjusted, as, as every composer does in every piece in the history of the world, we adjusted the um, harp parts <laughs> and then added the marimba yeah. uh, as we went. But in creating it, and oh my goodness, that is the funniest is, thing I've seen in a while. He's like going to come out from under the blanket is, in a minute. Is this, hello? <laughs> I don't think either the cat or I know exactly where the cat he's, is. He's coming out, are, I think, behind you, you. Are you, is that, hello, I see, I see a butt end there. This is not the end I expected. It's too bad you don't have this on video. I think, you know, this is like old radio programs. Right. I think there's so much more to the imagining. I think this is the comfortablest this cat has looked around me. So right. I think we're going right. to go with this. Yeah, hello. That's adorable. Um, <laughs> God, did we completely derail? Where were we? I, uh, uh, just oh, we added marimba. Yes, yes, so yes. So I went in this. I didn't change anything but the orchestration with the exception of one measure. Oh, this is fascinating. So the piece builds to a climax and it reaches, it's, it's gone through this very contrapuntal section. Mm -hmm. It starts out with um, very slow moving and gradually adds counterpoint and gets busier and busier and busier and busier and then it reaches the climax and it gets really still. Hmm. And then it just becomes shifting chords through the duration of the climax, okay? Okay. And different chords have fermatas to last different lengths. So at the height of the, the biggest moment, I add in the string versions, I add double bass. It's been out for a while. Hmm. And so the whole thing is built up really high. And then, you know, with space, yep. that can be such a big thing. Yep. And, and then the basses come in. Boom, yeah. You know. And that registral expanse right. opens up. Right. Yeah. So when I did this with the band and the tubas came in and the low trombones, I was not satisfied with the length of time that that measure lasted, even with a fermata, because of the envelope of sound that's so different mm -hmm. in low brass versus string. Yeah. So I double, I just added another measure, hmm. but it, but it gave it adding physical measure of time. And then the measure with the fermata allowed that sound to open up and then decay in such a way that it was better time. It was much more satisfying. I imagine. Yeah. It's just one measure, but it made a difference to me anyway. That's, that's fascinating. Cause I've done, um, I've done comparisons of a number of scores, uh, it, in, when I was in the master's program at BGSU, part of what we had to do at the master's level was give several presentations, uh, about our music, about uh -huh. other composers, musics. And I picked, uh, O King. Yeah. Um, so the Barrio. The Barrio yeah. yeah. And, and the specifically presenting on the chamber version and then what it becomes in okay. Symphonia. And yeah. so looking at that, and seeing how little is changed. Yeah. And it literally comes down to one measure was actually just written in a slightly different meter. Mm -hmm. And it's entirely just for the sake of mm -hmm. like the, the, the coordination of these so many more people. Right. Right. 
but literally like note for note how things are exploded out into the full right. ensemble and so it's really remarkable to hear you talk about the orchestration yeah. in this way with these which with what seems to be subtle changes making such a significant it really does. It's the timing, it's the pacing. Yeah. And and the band piece is what I would call a wetter or more resonant mm. sound because of what I did with the with the forces that not everybody's gonna have in a band, with the piano, with the harp, with the two marimbas. Yeah. Um those types of resonances. Um and and interestingly, and I wish if we want to go get it upstairs, I'll show you later, but I think this the band score is upstairs. Mm. Um at the end of it when it's fading out after the climax, um, there's a moment where I decided not, in the, in the f string piece, there's a moment where the melody comes in and the harmony moves, and then there's an offset harmony, right? Mm. So one harmony hits, and then there's just a little, a moment, and then boom, yeah. like an answer. Okay. Okay. All right, in the band piece, I turn that into clarinet trills. Mm. It's, it's moving. Yeah. And again, it's not about the trill, and it's super quiet. You have to really listen for this, but it creates a little shimmer. Shimmer, yeah. That is really, really nice. This, this ambiance. Little shift. Yeah. But I adore orchestration, so so <laughs> for me this was an oh, ideal situation. You look situation. like a kid in the candy store. Yeah, the kid in the know, candy right? store. Like... I'm like this. I wasn't just composing for band. I was orchestrating, and what can I do with the color here? Yeah. So what had been the uniform color of the strings, which I loved, and that piece for me was all about the counterpoint and the pacing. Yeah. Because the voicing is the, you know, the uniform voicing of strings um, became about shifting colors. Yeah. It's not just about the counterpoint anymore. Yeah. I, I tell all of my students when they take orchestration with me that it's, it's, it is the equivalent of having a coloring book. Like you get the piece, whether it's yours or not, right. these structural kind of things that are more or less monochromatic, black and white. Right. And your job is to color appropriately so that aspects of that structure right. are brought to the fore right. or, or subdued right? Right. In, in meaningful ways. Well, remember we started by talking about emotion. Yep. And, and so someone suggested to me when I first started this, somebody who knows music said, well, that opening solo melody should be on flute because, you know, it's on violin. Mm. Hmm. So let's put it in the same place. I was like, no, that hmm. needs to be on English horn and saxophone. Oh, I love this idea already. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it was all about choosing the right color of instrument for the emotion, yeah. not for the register. Not for the, yeah. Right. Because, well, there again, several instruments could get those pitches. That's right. Right. Yeah, and when yeah. I think about it on flute, I kind of, I kind of go, oh, no, oh, no, 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 that would just kill the emotion, but but English horn, and and saxophone. So I ended up with because of the emotional choice and because of the sax solo with that with that bit there, I started on on the sax, and then after that, not before, mm -hmm. I remembered that. Remember, I mentioned the conductor was a friend of mine from high school and was yes. my drum major. Uh -huh. She was also a saxophone player. Huh. All right, so there was a little bit of an afterthought so, nod in, yeah, yeah, yeah. to her yeah. um, as a saxophone player. So at the end, on purpose, yeah. I ended with a couple of piccolo notes because I was this the piccolo was your, player. Yes, okay. So there's just a wee little bit of us in there. Not enough to really talk to most people about. I wouldn't bring this up to an audience. But I had fun with that. That was, 
you know, part of the creation. Well, and this is, this, I think so many composers will do this either on purpose or just intuitively, right? right? And as, as part of their, their voice, their stamp, their, what, whatever they associate with this kind of, mm-hmm. and, and I love talking to people about that where you, you didn't necessarily know at the outset but once you figured it out, once you're like, it. okay, this is the, now there's an inside. I think, I think yeah. composers, I think we're a little impish or a little, I think we're all a little funny. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think we're, we all like being on the inside joke kind right. of, and just having right. those little things that we put in. So many composers, uh, you know, like little Morse code things or the Bach motive or the, right. These, just these little yes. nuggets. All those things. And they're important. They're important in the, in the creation process. They're important as a way of getting you through the creation process. Yeah. Right? And it yeah. really doesn't matter what they were if it gets you through the process. Right. In the end, does it does that? Is that supposed that's the thing about and I'm I'm a very algorithmic composer. I love systems yeah. and structures. But I'm always asked the question, well, since you're an algorithmic composer, do you want us to hear the process? And my answer floors some people because I say no. Yeah. No, if you hear the process, I haven't done my job. Right. Because the process is for me. Right. It's not necessarily for you. That's exactly right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Have I moved you in some way? Yeah. Some emotional way at the end of this piece? Great. Mm Mm-hmm. Does it, do I want you thinking about school shootings? Maybe, not necessarily. It's more about the emotion of the piece that we're all experiencing together at the same time in this room. Hmm. And could it generate a conversation about those things because it's the same emotion? Great. Then let's have that conversation. Because we apparently need to. That's so important. Exactly. Well, speaking of conversations, I've, I've been talking your ear off. This has been lovely. Um, we do have a recording of the band version. Yes. Uh, and is this from TMEA? Is yes, it? it is. This is the TMEA recording. Caroline Beatty is the conductor, and it's the um, Texas State University Wind Ensemble.
Fantastic. Well, uh, Cynthia Van Manen, thank you so much for your time and uh, allowing me to come in and invade your, your sanctuary. Here. Absolutely. <laughs> and and have my cat on your lap. I, you know, I have been missing <laughs> my cats for three weeks, so this is actually a delight. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.